0: You're listening to a sermon by Covenant Church. We also pray for the world. I want to lead us in a prayer for the world before we dive into the sermon. I want to pray for Israel, for peace in Israel and Gaza. And I want to remind us of 1 Timothy 2. So think about this. This is instruction to a church. The Apostle Paul says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. We prayed a couple weeks ago. Pastor Andrew led us in a prayer for Israel and for peace in that region. And we prayed also for the people of Gaza. Should we not want to pray for Israel, uh, Jesus' homeland and historic people? And also there's civilians suffering on all sides. Should we not pray for the suffering that's happening throughout that region and pray for um, the people who live in Gaza? So would you, this is a, a calling to the Christian people to pray for all people. Don't be cynical. Actually believe that God works through prayer to shape the world. And we long for the day when nation doesn't lift up sword against nation anymore. Isaiah 2, we long for peace in the world. So, would you allow me to lead us in prayer? Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we do long for the day when nation doesn't lift up sword against nation. We pray to you, the Prince of Peace. We pray there would be a restoration of order and security. We pray that the leaders of Hamas would cease any further terroristic attack. We pray that the leaders of this terrorist organization would not have control in Gaza. Lord, we pray for the people of Israel to be able to live without this threat. We pray for the protection and safe return of all who are being held hostage. We pray for civilians in Gaza and in Israel who are suffering, suffering from airstrikes, war. We pray for the healing of all who have been injured. We pray for uh, the healing of all who have been traumatized. Pray for comfort for people who have lost loved ones. We pray for protection and strength for those working in hospitals. We pray for guidance for every leader involved in this whole thing. Lord, uh, we think of historic anti-Semitism and pray against that. We think of historic atrocity that's happened against Jewish people, and we pray for all leaders who are involved and our own leaders for wisdom. Lord, we pray that there would be conditions that long-term Israel and Palestine would be able to be Uh, have sustainable peace. And Lord, we pray for the church. Uh, We pray to the God who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We pray that the good news of Jesus would would run. We pray that uh, for the Jewish people in the region. We pray that for the Palestinian people that Jesus and his goodness and his offer of salvation would be lifted up. Lord, we pray to you Lord Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, uh, be with us now as we turn to the sermon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, we're in the second of a sermon series on sexuality. This sermon is about a PG-13. And we kept on saying, we put that news out in the weekly email. And uh, what parents, you know, parents make your own wise decisions on what, um, uh, we have age appropriate teaching downstairs and, um, you're free to have your kids here. So the Bible begins and ends with a marriage. Do you know this? The Bible begins with marriage. First couple pages of the Bible. There's also a marriage at the end of the Bible. Genesis two, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked not ashamed. So marriage is this foundational thing. And here we have this beautiful picture, naked and no shame. How do we get from naked and no shame to all the brokenness in the world around sexuality? How do we get from naked and no shame to all this shame and blame and curse and chaos? How did it does it all go wrong? And there's suffering in the world and that's affected sexuality. There's sin in the world and that's affected sexuality and sex is like this powerful thing. Is it surprising that supernatural evil, which does exist, would want to, uh, confuse, contradict and mess up sexuality. It's not surprising at all. So listen to, listen to the dynamics, listen to the earliest spiritual attack, okay? The dynamics of confusion contradiction and character attack on God. Listen to how God's word is attacked for the first time. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field than the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. The eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves loinclothes. This is God's word. So there's the fall, the beginning of the fall of humanity. What comes after is curse, chaos, blaming. God asked Adam what happened. Adam blames God. This woman you gave me did this. There's all kinds of blame. There's um, a sexual awareness for the first time that's dark. They didn't have any shame before this. Now all of a sudden, They're not, they're not at home and comfortable with each other in the same way. There's confusion and contradiction and character attack from Satan. And this is just the dynamic of spiritual attack. So in confusion in the world, Satan attacks God's word. Notice what he said. So God said, uh, actually you can't eat any fruit. You're not allowed to eat of any tree in the garden. So suggest that already, say what God says is restrictive, bad. God's holding out on you. The woman explains, actually, we can eat of any tree. It's just this one tree. God said we would die. Then there's just a lie. You will not die. They did die. Jesus says of Satan, John 8, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies the father lies. You will not die. You're not going to die. You're going to be fine. They weren't fine. There's character attack on God. God knows. A lie about God's character. So look, there's a lot of confusion, contradiction, and it's actually character attack on God about misunderstandings of what God actually says around sexuality and what his heart is. And I just want to invite us to see God's heart and his commands. God's word is a lamp so you won't trip. It's a light for the darkness. It's good. Can we have this heart? Psalm 119 teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Can we like say, okay, I got to hear God on this? God is the one who calls the shots. I mean, so that's the Christian claim, right? That there's a creator God who's revealed himself and it's actually shaped cultures, brought conviction in the world. That's happened. I'll talk a little bit about that later in the sermon. But that's, that's the claim of Christianity. That's where the standard is, okay? There's, uh, there's a lot of pedophilia in ancient times. There is a lot in ancient Greece and in Rome. There is a lot of man boy stuff today in America. The vast, 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 vast majority of people would say, Hey, that is wrong. Is that simply your personal standard? Or would you say, Hey, actually, if I said, Oh, um, is that just our culture? Because is that just wrong? Because we think that's wrong because we are brought up in this culture. Is that just your personal standard? You've made up your own truth. And now you're trying to apply that to other people. Is that just our culture happens to think this is true or is that self? Is there a morality that exists outside people and culture? That's a claim of Christianity. All right. That there's actually uh, a moral reality from God that is both surfaces and conscience. This is why all of us feel guilty sometimes. Um, Or you're a psychopath if you never feel guilt at all. That shows up in conscience that is revealed by God's word. So, um, don't expect to hear everything that you already agree with. And could we believe we just saying that God is glorious. He's great. Could we trust the great and glorious God whose glory shines more than the stars that actually what he says. His heart for us is good, and he can be trusted. All right? So, here's the sermon today. Four areas of confusion, contradiction, and character attack in the area of sexuality. Four things that maybe people say that the Bible says that it doesn't say. Four areas of confusion, contradiction, character attack in the area of sexuality. First one is this. The Bible's teachings show that God is anti-pleasure. God hates stuff. God is a repressive God. God is just against stuff. No. This is why we talked, started with Song of Solomon last week. As an apple tree amongst the trees of the forest, so is my beloved amongst the young men. With great delight I sat in the shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Delight. God created this. Proverbs 5. Let your This is advice from an older man um, to a younger man. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. God is not anti-pleasure. God is the fountain of all pleasure. Every pleasure you've ever imagined or touched or experienced is from the God of the universe. So what are the biblical purposes of sex? Here they are. Here are the biblical purposes of sex. Um, Sex unites. They shall become one flesh, which is quoted again and again. Uh, In the context of marriage, there's emotional oneness, a social oneness. You share a name, right? You become best friends. Emotionally, socially, and sexually, and covenantally, you enter into a covenant be one sexually when you're one in every other way. Sex unites, and actually the chemicals and the endorphins and the dopamine that's released uh, when two people have sex, it's meant to bond you, and it's actually really detrimental to fight against that. Like a hookup culture, you're not just sinning against God and another person and yourself, you're actually fighting the bio- biology of what sex is created to do which is to deeply bond you with another human being okay the biblical purpose of sex sex unites uh sex delights that's why i quoted the song of solomon proverbs oh sex creates 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 another human being Just think about that how mysterious that is and um The Bible actually doesn't demystify. Here's the, we looked a little bit of this last week. Here's the crazy message from our culture right now about sex. Sex is nothing. It's no big deal. It's not, not a big deal. Don't get excited about it. You just need some education, how to not get pregnant when that's, you don't want that to happen or to get a sexually transmitted disease, but not a big deal. But actually also. Who your sexual desires are aimed towards. That's the most important thing about you. That's part of your identity. Which is it? Is sex everything or is it nothing? Uh, the Bible says sex is always a spiritual experience, a good one or a bad one. And actually talking about marriage in Ephesians five, the apostle Paul He like points to the magic and mystery. He says, this is a mega mystery. This is profound. He's talking about husband and wife. And he says, also, I am saying this, this is mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This is mysterious, but, um, God being anti-pleasure, uh, you're just not paying attention. No. Second area of confusion, contradiction, counterattack, second area. Some people think the Bible forbids adultery, but not premarital sex. So, uh, one of the 10 commandments is thou shalt not have adultery. So the thought is, well, is it just adultery and everything else is okay? Actually, no, go back to that. Sex unites, delights, creates. That's the purpose of sex in the context of cross gender, covenantal oneness. There's a, a passage in Hebrews. Let marriage be held in honor above all among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Uh, marriage is meant to be held in honor amongst all. And that includes, if you're single, that includes all the people who are married, everybody. And the passage, it would be shorter to just say, God will judge the adulterous. God will judge the adulteress. God will judge this sexually immoral and the adulteress. Um, it's both that, um, the folks saying, well, hey, chapter and verse, this is just never the understanding in the Christian church. No one ever thought that because the Bible is so plain on this. Um, sex is meant and reserved to bond two people in marriage. Uh. and to wake us up to grace, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever in the history of the world, Jesus shows where sin starts. And he does that in a lot of areas. It's like, Hey, you haven't murdered anyone. Great. Actually, we can murder people in our thoughts, right? And that's sin. In the same way he does this with lust, Matthew 5 You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So sin begins in the heart. Purity begins in the heart. And um, friends, this is pornography. Someone's making money somewhere. It's online digital prostitution that's uh, it's bad for men and women. And look, this kind of thing has always been around. Here's the game changer. There have been technological revolutions that have overtaken the world. So the printing press was one of those. You know, changes history, changes the world, printing press. Um, took years and years and years and years. A revolution that's changed the world, That's it's never a revolution, a technological revolution, has never been everywhere over the world so quickly. It's the smartphone. And the smartphone has brought us a lot of crazy things. You can look up your high school friends and discover what they're into, and that's amazing. And also, uh, pre-unlimited pornography in your pocket. And it's really hurting people. It's really, it's hurting people us i mean this the stats are out right not just like christian studies but just like social scientists like yeah it seems that like, um people deeply shaped by pornography don't when they try to bond with one person in marriage it often doesn't go well uh Advice, here's some advice about that. And this is, if you're 14 or 45, okay? um, It's natural to be curious and to want to learn about sex. And that's actually, that's one of the reasons why we as the church are like, hey, let's talk about this. We're going to read letters. Hebrews 13 is public instruction. Matthew 5 is public instruction. We're actually going to talk about God's good gift. We're going to talk about this. You're not warped, young people, you're not warped for wanting to learn about this. Uh, But porn is dangerous and will misshape you. And the way to fight it, I mean, you need fences in your life. You need to, like, limit what you can be exposed to. There needs to be codes and, like, lockdown on that phone and on the computers. And the the biggest thing is don't fight this battle alone. And this is true if you're 14, 45, or 85. um, Have a good... Christian friend or two, a mentor, has someone. Let's practice James 5. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. Don't fight this battle alone. There's some things that grow in the dark and in the light. Hey, this has happened. I've gotten, I've been using this, name it, and confess it as sin. Let other believers pray for you. We fight sin together. Okay. Um, Surprise, surprise, we need Jesus really bad, right? It's not surprising at all. Um, We need Jesus really bad, and we need to actually be a community where it's like a normal thing to actually confess sin and fight sin together. Third area of confusion, contradiction, counterattack. How about this one? This is saying God is love. Doesn't that mean God welcomes everyone? God is love. And in First John, this is arguably Jesus' best friend, okay? This is the apostle. Jesus says, take care of my mom. Mom, he's going to take care of you. This is the guy leaning up against Jesus who knows Jesus. And he says, God is love. Anyone does not love does not know God because God is love. He also says this. It's like the next verse. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son God to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loved us and sent his son for our sins. So yes, God welcomes everyone to come to him and repent of sin. That's why God sent Jesus. God welcomes everyone to come to him. And he tells us all to turn from sin and be washed with the washing of Jesus. Um, And I, So I'm going to read this passage. I like that the Corinthian church existed because we're reminded of all kinds of struggles. There's people coming out of all kinds of struggles in the Corinthian church. There are people who had like stolen a lot of things and defrauded each other and swindled. There's people who are greedy. There's all different kinds of uh, sexual histories and lifestyles in Corinth. And they're all part of the church. A lot of people have come to Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul, I'm going to pick this up. Um, The Apostle Paul is telling them, look, you can't be suing each other. Okay? People in the church would get into disagreements and then go to a local magistrate and just be suing each other. Paul's like, that's a super bad witness. You don't have people in the church to just figure this out? but he warns them about a bunch of lifestyles that they should leave. So I'll pick this up. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God." So he just broadly is like, hey, there's all these kinds of sins, and he's just saying, hey, church, let's fight all those versions of sin all those sexual sins, it is clear, friends, heterosexual sin outside of marriage and homosexual sin are out of bounds biblically and not God's call. And he says, look, such were some of you. He's like, hey, that's us. Uh, But we're leaving that. We're fighting that. Uh, That's why Jesus died for us and forgave us we would justify in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There's a welcome and a washing. Um, it's not loving for God to not say, yes, that needs to be washed. There is a welcome and there is a washing. Um, now, what did this mean for people? So, this historian named Kyle Harper wrote a book. It's actually published by... Harvard press in 2013, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but he wrote a book about how the understanding of what sexual morality should be changed in late antiquity, okay, late ancient world. The Christian transformation of sexual morality, of sexual morality in late antiquity, what people thought was right and wrong changed. And here is the deal before. So. Uh, prostitution was everywhere. Can you imagine if like Doyle's town had three or four brothels, uh, in every town. And so like when people are investigating Jesus and it was news to them, like, oh, that's not okay. Also, same sex relationships were common in the Roman world. Uh, a lot of it was control. So there was some man, boy stuff, but there was adult consensual stuff as well. For free Roman citizens, and there was a Greek version of this, but for the men, slaves, prostitutes, and boys were seen as perfectly legitimate outlets for male sexual desire. And so when the Christian vision changed what people thought was right and wrong, the ancient world became more safe for slaves, especially for women and boys. So that that changed. Um, what am I actually? What do we? What are, what do we need to believe about this? Okay, both things are true. Some of the Christian church has has wrongly said that our desires are a simple choice. Our desires aren't a simple choice. We've been there. We're born with all different kinds as people, as fallen people in a fallen world with suffering in the world, people are born with all kinds of desires that are outside the bounds of what God wants for us. So we're not saying, this does not mean that whether or not you have a specific desire is a simple choice. It's not a simple choice. We're not just saying simply pray the gay way. It's a decision. Uh, It is a decision what you do with it. It's a decision. What you do with that, that's, and I'm saying this for all of us, all of our sexual sin, all the porn stuff, what will we do with those desires? Um, I have personal friends who, uh, some of which, okay. They're like, look, this happened to me, this exposed to me, this, you know, as a woman, I was exposed to this kind of abuse or as a man, this happened to me and that shaped desire. I have other friends who are like, I don't remember being attracted in any other way. And in both those groups, I have personal friends who are Christians who are like, hey, over time God touched that, changed that. I fell in love with a woman. I fell in love with a man and are now happily married. I have other friends, and there's people like this, both examples in our church, who are like, This uh, I prayed for this to be changed. It's not changed. I'm a Christian. And I live under the lordship of Jesus, so I'm chaste and celibate, but those are my desires. Are uh, the group of churches that we're a part of, Covenant Church, has their other PCA, Presbyterian Church in America, that we welcome believers from every background and people who are investigating Jesus. We have pastors, um. I know one who's married now who's like, yeah, this is my story. This is the lifestyle I came out of. I know there's a single man named Greg Johnson came to faith as a young gay kid in college. And he's like, God hasn't changed these desires by live celibate and chaste and I serve as a pastor in the faith of Jesus. And we need to make room for both kinds of stories and, uh, Think about Jesus' words. Um, think about what Jesus says about marriage. That is, Jesus was saying, look, you can't like divorce each other for any reason. And the disciples said to him, man, if that's the case, it's better not to marry. Listen to what Jesus says. Not everyone can receive the saying, but only to those whom it's given. There are eunuchs who have been so from birth. Okay, they're born this way. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. When Jesus says, hey, there are those who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. There's actually Jesus saying, this is precious in the heart of God. And don't miss this. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Jesus, who is tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, Jesus, given his mission, was never married and was a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. To come into church, we want to welcome the gospel to be clear. All need Jesus. And we want the kind invitation and the loving warning of God to be clear. This is God's word. Fourth area of uh, confusion. Isn't everyone free to do what they want with their own body? Isn't everyone free what they want? The answer is like, Hey, yeah, we're in America. Yes. You're free to do what you want with your own body. And also your body's God's creation. We'll all answer to the Lord with what we do with our body. And saying this to a Christian church, what you do with your body matters to God. Uh, the Corinthians, this is the very next passage, okay? The, in the Corinthian church, the apostle Paul is mostly calling out heterosexual sin. There's a guy sleeping with his mother-in-law. He instructs them about that. Hey, you've actually got to lovingly intervene. And then there's a bunch of people who are sleeping with prostitutes and they think that what they do with their body doesn't matter. And so actually the one mention of homosexuality, which probably stood out to you when I read that passage, it's sandwiched in these two situations where their anything goes attitude about sexuality is being deeply corrected. Listen to him instruct the Corinthian church. Let's let this instruct us. All things are lawful for me. That was their saying not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. Say they applied that sexually. Food for the stomach, the stomach for food. I have these desires. I should be able to do this. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised the Lord while also raises us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take then the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sinned against his own body? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, he's instructing the church here, okay? And this is, uh, he's clear. He's like, look, I'm not saying you go around and like uh, those outside He's like, what do I have to do with those judging those outside? He says that at the end of 1 Corinthians 5. But like in the church, we call sin, sin. And so they had warped ideas about freedom, warped ideas about the body, warped ideas about sex. And he just corrects it. What was warped? Well, their idea of freedom was like God, and this is how Americans think of freedom, We think of freedom from control, right? freedom from outside influence. We think of freedom from, not freedom for. And in the gospel, we are freed to live for God, love God, bless the world, bless our neighbor. That's what we're freed for. And it's a misunderstanding about grace to say, well, Jesus died for sin. Therefore, I will continue in it you'll understand the freedom that Jesus has brought you in. Jesus has brought us in the freedom that we'd fight sin and be truly free. They also had warped ideas about the body. They acted like, hey, what we do with our body, it's less. It doesn't matter what you do with your body. You know, the body, whatever, you have bodily desires, just act on those. Instead of thinking of sexuality, it's inherently spiritual, moral. It's something the steward and he's speaking to Christians and he says, look, your bodies belong to Jesus. What are you going to do with those bodies? What are you going to do with those eyes? What are you going to do with those hands? What are you going to do with your body? And it's about oneness, right? They forgot about oneness. They forgot that sex is a spiritual encounter. So here's the heavy thing. When we sin sexually, we sin against God. We sin against the person in God's image. That's true with every kind of sexual morality. It's true with porn. You also sin against yourself, which the Bible doesn't warn us about in the same way about other sins. So the question is this, is your sexuality under the Lordship of Jesus? What would it look like to be a disciple with your sexuality? What would it look like? I want to take us back to 1 John, This is the message we have heard and proclaimed to you. God is light and him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So let's, in this area of life, and in every area of life, let's say this is what God says. How do we need the cleansing of Jesus? This is what God says. How do we need the truth of Jesus? Let's not deceive ourselves. Let's not make God a liar. And John goes on, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the payment for our sins and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. This is the gospel. Amen. Who does not need the gospel? Who does not need the gospel? Sexuality is this powerful gift and it's awesome in its right context. And it's also something Satan has tried to rack for everybody. And with all of our sin and suffering, can we go to Jesus? Can we remember the gospel? Uh, I'm going to pray for us. And we sang earlier about bringing our shame to the cross. We're going to ask God to take us to the cross again. Allow me to pray for us and let's pray that we go to the cross of Jesus. Let's pray Lord Jesus. Uh, We pray for each other. I pray for my brothers and sisters right now that we would not deceive ourselves with areas of sin, but we pray we'd be a community of holiness where we'd name sin and confess it and receive your cleansing and your forgiveness. We pray we'd fight it together. We pray we'd go to the cross of Jesus together where we all need your grace. We pray we'd not be shocked at sin, but we'd be more shocked by your deep grace to us in Christ. Lord, meet us, meet us this morning, and help us even now as we sing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to connect with us on our website at covenantsdoylestown.org to watch live on Sunday mornings. You can also connect with us on Instagram and Facebook.